Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. It's a good day. My goodness, even though it's cold... It's a good day. Thank you for those of you that braved the cold to be here. It's awesome. For everyone who stayed home, no shame at all. In fact, I was thinking, is there a way I could preach from my living room? How fantastic would that be? What a good, good day it is and what a cold day it is. My goodness. Um, Three things before we get started. Uh, First, in the Alliance Church, our pastors have to pass a rigorous licensing interview to become a fully licensed pastor. And last week, Pastor Amy passed her licensing interview with Flying Colors. So that's a big deal. Like, it's actually quite exciting. Um, And she did an amazing job. So uh, you can basically ask her anything. In fact, the questions we're going to have at the end of the service, she's going to answer all of them because she just did a a fantastic job. Uh, So speaking of that, if you have any questions or comments, last week we got kind of a... Uh, an, an additional thought um, about, uh, about the sermon, and it was fantastic. So if you've got a thought, something jumps out at you from the sermon, um, please text us and let us know what that thought is. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, and lastly, we're having communion at the end of the service. So if you're at home, make sure you've got some communion elements um, grabbed uh, before the end of the service so that you can join in with us. You can grab crackers and some juice or whatever you've prepared ahead of time. Um, is just fantastic. For those of you here at the, at the church, uh, we, have, uh, we have that on your table, so you're all good to go. All righty. Well, picture this. Let's say at some point in your life, you have uh, prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life. It may have been a prayer that was something like, Jesus, here I am. Um, I, I need your hope and your joy and your peace. Come and live in my heart. I love you. Amen. Something like that. So let's imagine that you've done that at some point, um, and let's just use our imaginations to picture what this might have looked like. So Jesus comes to live in our hearts. He comes and he knock, knock, knocks on our door, and we open the door up to him and say, welcome, Jesus. It's so excited. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for coming to live in my heart. If you, if you imagine your heart being like a house, Jesus kind of comes into the front entryway and he takes his sandals off because it's Canada and that's what we do. And he comes into the house and he comes into your living room and he sits on your couch and, and he looks around and he goes, this is a nice, nice living room. This is so beautiful. And Jesus is just there. It's just him. He's got a little backpack over his shoulder. Not really much. He's not bringing a whole lot into the house, but, but himself. And he looks around and he goes, show me the kitchen. And he looks at the kitchen and show me the bedrooms. And he looks in the bedrooms and he looks all over the house. And once he's had a chance to take a look at everything, he begins to move stuff around. He begins to shift the places where you've kept all your knickknacks and all your stuff. He moves them to different spaces. In fact, he even starts to take some of the stuff that's been sitting there for years. And he puts it outside by the curb next to the rubbish pile ready to be taken away. And he begins to do stuff that is just like a little bit out of control, a little bit uncomfortable as he begins to rearrange all the stuff in there. In fact, Jesus begins to repaint the walls. 
He takes down the window coverings and puts new ones up. He begins to tear down walls. He begins to do some major renovation in the house that represents your heart. And then, then Jesus goes to his little backpack, this little backpack that seems so small at first, and begins to take stuff out of it, begins to take a lot of stuff out of it, big stuff. And you begin to realize that Jesus' backpack is a little bit like the TARDIS, right, from Doctor Who. It's bigger on the inside than on the outside. If you don't get that reference, Jesus' backpack is a little bit like Mr. Dress-Up's tickle trunk, okay? If you don't get that reference, it's kind of like Dora the Explorer's backpack, right? Okay, so you get the idea. There is so much room inside of this backpack, and it's so small, but man, he is pulling stuff out of there like crazy. And he begins to pull stuff out of there like picture frames, Pictures of people that you've never met before. Uh, hundreds of pictures. Th thousands of pictures. Pictures uh, of black people and white people and Hispanic people and indigenous people and Chinese people. Jesus begins to pull out like the, the United Nations worth of pictures out of his backpack. Young people, old people, happy people, cranky people. Pictures of people hunting, people playing sports, uh, people waving rainbow flags behind them. Pictures of people, it seems, from every walk of life, every socioeconomic background, every stripe and color, every creed, all kinds of people. And Jesus begins to hang these pictures up on the walls of your heart. You may begin to gripe at this moment, Jesus, stop. This is getting out of hand. I've invited you into my house and you treat it like this? What in the world is going on? I mean, Jesus, you've come into my house with some serious baggage and this place hardly looks like my heart anymore. Oh, Jesus says, you thought you were inviting me to come live with you. I'm inviting you to come live with me. Oh my. Well, that's not just our imagination talking. It's not just a clever little illustration. While Scripture does speak about receiving Christ, like in the passage from John 1.12, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, while Jesus does speak about receiving him, the emphasis throughout Scripture is not on us receiving Jesus into our life, but on Jesus receiving us into his family. It's an important distinction, don't you think? And Jesus' family is a big family. And sometimes Jesus' family is really hard to get along with. Now, we've been in a series called 21 Missives the Church Never Saw Coming, and believe me, you, the church never saw these coming. These were hard teachings, some of them. Remember how we talked about how many of the biblical letters the, the Holy Spirit wrote through, through Paul and through these others were addressing three things like who God is, what the church is supposed to look like, and how we fit into this amazing story. Well, so far we've talked about how amazing and powerful Jesus is. We talked about his supremacy. We've talked about how Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. We've talked about how the church is the visual, visual representation of Jesus in the world. We've talked about how we are in relationship with others in marriages and our families and our friendships. We've talked about how our identity on the inside shapes our behavior on the outside. We've 
talked about how in Christ there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, and many other amazing truths. And now we come to the book of Philemon. It's a bit of a different book to be sure. It's only 25 verses. There's, no, there's only one chapter. So when we talk about Philemon, we just talk about Philemon verse 3, Philemon verse 25. It's 25 short verses. You could read it probably in about 10 minutes. Now, well, and, and, and the other distinction of the book of Philemon is that most of the Bible was written to groups or communities, but Philemon was written, it was sort of written to a community, but mostly it was written to one man, a man named Philemon. And the book of Philemon, while it teaches us a lot of things, you can pull a lot of good content out of it, it's not primarily a teaching book. If the rest of the biblical letters are like textbooks, teaching us about God, the church, and ourselves, then Philemon is like the quiz that comes after the teaching is over. So let me lay it out for you here. There was a man named Onesimus. Now, we don't know much about this man, but the people who study this kind of thing um, believe that Onesimus was a runaway slave who, when he ran away from his master, stole a good deal of money. And interestingly enough, this runaway Onesimus ends up finding the Apostle Paul, whether it's by his own uh, uh, design or by the providence of God. And he finds Paul, if you remember, we're going through the prison epistles. These first four books we've looked at are all prison epistles. So Onesimus finds Paul in prison. It's kind of like a house arrest. So Paul is allowed to take guests in and, and meet with people. And Onesimus finds Paul. And when Onesimus meets Paul, he gives his life to Jesus. Now, at this point in Paul's life, Paul's been preaching and teaching for quite a while. Paul has planted a bunch of churches. He's helped encourage a bunch of churches. Um, He's shared the the gospel message with thousands of people. Uh, He's seen thousands of them uh, accept an invitation to become followers of Jesus and to become children of God. And Paul has been teaching about what it looks like to follow Jesus. What does it actually look like to follow Jesus? And don't you know it? One of the things that following Jesus looks like, in fact, one of the things that Jesus and Paul talk a whole lot about, is reconciling ourselves to one another. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. And of course, Paul emphasizes this same principle over and over again through all of his writings. This making things right with your brothers and sisters type of thing, it's a big deal. It's all through Scripture. And so what is Paul going to do with Onesimus? Because Onesimus is here, a runaway slave who was stolen from his master, who is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, put that on hold for just a moment. Because the other question that Paul gets to think through is this. Not only is Paul trying to figure out what to do with Onesimus, but did you know, or do you know, who Onesimus' master is? It's one of the other people that Paul led to Jesus. It's this man, Philemon. In fact, not only had Philemon become a follower of Jesus by Paul's ministry— But Philemon, it seems, is also the leader of his house church. 
Philemon is quite possibly in the same role as a pastor. Oh man, what a situation. So just remember the culture that that Paul is invested in. Because if you're anything like me, you must be asking yourself the question here, if all of this is true, then did Pastor Philemon really own a slave? What's up with that? Well, the answer is I really don't know. What I do know is that one of Jesus' main goals, as stated in Luke chapter 4, is to release the prisoners, uh, set the captives free, and I think that includes the emancipation of slaves. I think when Jesus came, he turned the culture upside down, even though he worked within the culture. But in this culture, at this time, slavery was a very normal thing. In fact, it's a, it was a very normal way to pay off your debts. If you had gotten behind in some bills, you would sell yourself or sell a family member off into slavery until those debts could be paid. This was a normal way of doing things at that time. And we do know that as Christianity grew, this practice was done away with more and more, especially with the followers of Jesus. But here in the early parts of the church, as people were freshly coming to Jesus, first-generation Christians coming to Jesus for the very first time, they came as they were. If they were a slave owner, they came as a slave owner. If they were a slave, they came as a slave. They were learning to follow Jesus slowly. But at the point that they were at at the beginning, they were still who they were. So yeah, early Christians owned slaves. It's not a cool thing from our context. Not a cool thing from Jesus' perspective. But it was the reality of the culture at the time. So Paul speaks, of course, in his other letters to both sides of this. Knowing that he lives and operates in a culture that has slavery as one of its main things, Paul speaks to both sides. In one place, Paul says that in Christ, there are no longer distinctions between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, slave or free, but all are in Christ equally. And in another place, Paul speaks to how masters are to treat slaves, treat them with respect, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And he talks about how slaves are to treat masters, treat them with respect, because you treat them with respect because of Jesus. Now, certainly slavery is not okay, but the Bible is pretty raw about the fact that even though people were coming to Christ, they still had stuff that needed to be figured out. And the owning of slaves was one of those things that needed to get corrected, and over time it was. Now, you know, as an aside, there are many, Christ- many things that Christians still get wrong today. There's many things that we get wrong as a church. There's many things we get wrong as a movement. There's lots of stuff that we get wrong because we're still a work in progress. We can look back maybe and judge a Philemon for owning a slave, thinking that he should have had his his stuff together. But today even, we still struggle with this, don't we? We still struggle with stuff that's—we don't have our stuff together. So one of the things that we need to do is we need to work together on getting our stuff figured out. But let's also, when we look back at some of these examples, like the example of Philemon, give him a little bit of room— as he learns to follow Jesus. Okay, so here's the deal with the book of Philemon. So at some point prior to this letter being written, uh, Paul had told Philemon about Jesus, and Philemon had become a Christian. Also, at some point prior to this letter, Onesimus ran away from Philemon, who was his master, and stole a great deal of money from Philemon, and had found Paul and become a Christian. 
Following that, following all of that, Paul writes this letter, this letter to Philemon. And listen to this. Potentially, what Paul does here is sends this letter in the hands of Onesimus. There's quite a bit of proof that when Paul sends this letter to Philemon, it's Onesimus that's delivering it. In the hopes that Philemon and Onesimus will experience reconciliation. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would have looked like? If I were to meet with someone who had wronged you, wronged you terribly, and I wrote you a letter, and I had that person deliver it, hoping that there would be reconciliation. Well, here's what happens. Paul appeals to Philemon. As he writes this letter, he appeals to Philemon's faith in Jesus Christ, stating this in verse 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, when you read this, you're probably getting the same wrong idea that I got when I originally read this. Paul is not talking about Philemon sharing his faith evangelically in an evangelization type of way, like sharing the three steps to salvation. No, Paul is saying, share your faith like live out your faith. Make your faith living and active. Let people around you share in the good stuff of your faith. Let people experience the fruits of your faith. Have you thought about sharing your faith in that way? We normally say share your faith, and we mean go tell somebody about the three rules of Christianity or something like that. But have you thought about, instead of doing that, what it would look like to have other people experience the life of Jesus in you and through you? That they would actually experience your faith, your hope, your joy, your peace. They'd experience that coming through you. N.T. Wright makes the case that in verse 6, Paul is asking Philemon to share, ultimately with Onesimus, but everyone around him, the richness that he has experienced in Christ. It's in this communal participation. This is what N.T. Wright says. It's in this communal participation together of the richness of the faith that we are truly the gathering of Christ. What he's saying there, what Paul is telling Philemon to do, is that the faith, the reality of who he is in Christ on the inside would be experienced by everybody around him on the outside. That as Philemon has experienced Christ in his hope, in his forgiveness, in his love, in his joy, that everyone around him would experience the same thing. The reason is because your faith is not meant to be your own, hidden away. Your faith is meant to be shared. Paul goes on to invite Philemon to treat Onesimus as Philemon would treat Paul. Remember, Paul led Philemon to Christ. And Philemon would have appreciated that, would have owed a great debt to Paul because Paul led him to Christ. Paul says this in verses 17 to 18. So if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. 
Paul, spiritual father to Philemon, is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus, in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. As a dear brother. Does Paul have any clue what he is asking? Onesimus has shamed Philemon, has stolen from Philemon. The penalty of which at this point would have been death. If a, if a runaway slave is caught who is stolen from his master, they would just kill him. If they didn't kill him, best case scenario, they would have seared across his forehead a, a, a word that would have told everybody around that he was a runaway slave. Disgrace, shame, condemnation. That's what should be done with Onesimus according to the culture. Martin Luther wrote an introduction to the book of Philemon 500 years ago. And in it, he states this, Paul plays Christ in this drama, identifying himself with both sinner and offended party, so making peace. Paul does know what he asks of Philemon and what he asks of Onesimus. Paul has been teaching and preaching and writing about this very thing, and Paul has been experiencing the reconciliation that comes through Christ. And what Paul is, is doing is Paul is allowing the reconciliation that he's experienced inside of himself to be outside of himself. He knows what he's asking. Paul encourages Onesimus to go back to Philemon to be made right. And Paul encourages Philemon to forgive Onesimus and receive him as a brother. When we come to Jesus, we are invited to join the family of Jesus, and Jesus comes with baggage. Namely, Jesus becomes our big brother, and our big brother has many other brothers and sisters, and Jesus loves to pull out their pictures and hang them all over the walls of our heart. Even the pictures of people who we would rather not associate with, Jesus loves them all. And if we're going to be a part of Jesus' family, we're going to be brother or sister to some pretty rough people. And here's the fun thing. There's some people you look around and you're like, I would rather not associate with that person. But then they can become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. Or before they become a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus loves them so much. So even though you may not like to associate with them, think about how much Jesus loves them. Now here's the, here's the part. Here's the part that is so mind-boggling. You look around. Okay, so just think. You look around and you see that there's people that you would rather not associate with. Did you know that you are one of the people that somebody else looks around and they would rather not associate with you? <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Oh, hopefully not too many people. But there may be someone out there that has to work through this on your behalf. You should see the people Jesus loves. You should see the people Jesus loves. Oh my goodness. Folks, the book of Philemon is a quiz written for us. Are we really listening and putting into action the things Jesus and the Holy Spirit are calling us to? Are we really loving the people that Jesus loves? Boy, today we're so polarized and divided as a culture and as a nation. And sadly, the gravity of this is beginning to divide the church. But this is not a new story. You look at the disciples of Jesus, his inner circle, the great apostles. They were constantly infighting and bickering, trying to get one up on each other. 
and Jesus used them to build his church. And that church grew and struggled with division itself, and so Paul wrote some letters to bring them back to unity. And here we are today, still struggling with loving our neighbors and loving our other Christians. We love Jesus, and we're still trying to figure this out. So what are we going to do? Well, the first thing to do is to recognize that this is not an easy task. Loving other people is not easy. I can love people that are lovely or people that are like me, but I have a difficult time with a lot of people. But God still calls me to love them. Sometimes people are hard to love. And sometimes people do really bad things to each other. But in Philemon, Paul gives us the answer. See, Philemon, the person, loved Paul. He might have been ticked with Onesimus, but he loved Paul. So Paul says this, Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Those words remind me of powerful words that Jesus shared as well. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So there's the answer. Treat people like we would treat Jesus if he was here. Because Jesus loves us, and because we love Jesus, we are called to love other people. right you did seem to put me there in that spot um i'll go until there's a question i don't like and then i'll say it's your turn sounds good (laughs) so live out your faith actually mean i think this is such a good question because i think we say that quite a lot live out your faith and we don't always kind of unpack what that means so what i understand is living out your faith means the things that we have Um, believed who we are, what God has said, what Jesus has done for us, the things that have transformed who we are, that that actually translates to our behavior in every sphere, that it's not our own little relationship with Jesus, just us two, but as we learn and grow and learn what it looks like to uh, to be like Jesus, is in every area of our life, then becomes looking a little bit more like Jesus. Yeah, so I mean, one way, like no shame, Mm -hmm. no condemnation, no guilt, no hiding. Yep. Right? So we're genuine about who we are. We're open and honest about our struggles. Yeah. We're open and honest about where we find the hope for those struggles. All that kind of stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. anything that we've talked about in our identity, that's living out our faith. If it's actually on the outside. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, so good. So good. Awesome. We got another one? Yeah. So Jesus says we need to forgive our brothers 70 times 7 times, and he also says to not throw your pearls before (laughs) swine. This is just such a good beginning to the question, isn't it? Whenever you throw pigs into a question, it's going to be good. Paul calls on Philemon to reconcile with his slave How do we navigate living with a fellow Christian that is continually treating us like Philemon's slave? Ho! Whew! That's good. That's really good. So you can answer this one. Okay, nice. (laughs) Okay, so, so, okay. Hmm, right? I, I think, so forgiveness is something that frees up you. 
Okay, so we've talked about this loss before. When someone has done something against me, and I actually just talked to a gentleman this last week, um, he had finally forgiven someone after years and years and years of holding a grudge and bitterness towards him. Somebody had done something against him, and he held on to this bitterness. And he finally forgave him. He called the guy up and said, hey, I forgive you for all this stuff. The guy says, and who is this now? There was not even a, a thought on this guy's mind. This, this, the thing that this guy had done to him was not even something that held him back one minute. But the guy who was in my office was saying that the stuff that was done to him held him in bondage, bitterness, angst, frustration. When he finally forgave, he experienced freedom. Okay? So forgiveness is something that really is a lot for you. When you forgive someone who's hurt you, you're not saying that what they've done is okay, but you're, you're forgiving them so that you can find freedom from your bitterness and, and hanging on. Now, do you then allow yourself to be in the same situation again where that person is not acting like Jesus? Okay, so that's what that question is. When someone continually treats you in an improper way, you're allowed to have boundaries. Boundaries are incredibly good to have. It's very important for you to say, you know what? You've hurt me before. You are not changing your behavior. I'm going to put up a boundary here that's going to stop you from being able to have that ability to speak that line in my life again. So boundaries are totally okay to have. Proper and godly boundaries that you develop, you know, in concert with community and talking with Jesus and that kind of stuff, right? So it's okay for you to have boundaries and not put yourself into that same situation again where you're going to be hurt in the same way. Some of this is like um, perhaps if you're, if you're dealing with an abusive person or something like that, it's totally okay for you not to put yourself back in that position of abuse, okay? So that sort of answers the question. The first part, forgiveness, forgive so that you can be freed, but you're allowed to have boundaries up and not put yourself into the same situation again. So if Philemon were to not forgive Onesimus, that would be an interesting story. What would Paul do? What would happen there, right? You'd probably try to take Onesimus out of that situation, but... It's interesting how that would all come together. But I think that that's the short answer right. anyways. And I will just add, a, navigate living. I think what, uh, what it is is doing it in community and mm-hmm. always going back to Jesus. So it's always asking Jesus, okay, how teach me how to walk in a new way with this person. What does it look like to show your love? And doing it in community with trusted friends of going, man, this is the situation. I think this is G- what Jesus is asking me to do. Help me. I think those are two other things. That's really good. Yep. What's the end of Philemon's story? I, I don't think we know. I don't think we know. Yeah, we don't, we don't get to hear the end of whether, right, Philemon, how, how he received Onesimus. Yeah. I don't think we get to know that. No, I mean, that's a great question, right? There's a lot of stories that we don't get to see the end of. Um, and so we don't really know. Um, how did Philemon receive Onesimus? We can assume, probably, uh, that this is what happened. Um, there's other people in history. This is, this is what's interesting about it. There's other people in history that have the same name, Onesimus. The name Onesimus in the Greek means useful, and it was often given to slaves. So there are a lot of slaves named Onesimus because the, the, the name means useful, um, it's interesting as you read Philemon, go back and read Philemon again, because there's a part in it where Paul says, receive back Onesimus, 
who once was useless to you, who is now useful to you. It's just very, it's a neat play on words Paul puts in there. Um, but we, we know there's other people uh, that we see in history books named Onesimus. One of those people in the Christian world became like a bishop. We don't know if it's the same Onesimus. Some people think it is, that he rose to the level of being a bishop over a certain area. Um, but Onesimus was such a common name back there, especially for slaves, um, that as they were getting freed and rising up in authority in different places, the name is all over the place. So we don't really know the end of the story. But yeah. Do we have one more? Okay. What do you do if every attempt to reconcile with someone is rejected by that person? Here's a place where I would really like the reference. Maybe you'll be able to fill in the reference where it says, um, live at peace with everyone as far as it is yeah. up to you. Yeah. It's just gone right now. Where's, it's not going to come up. It's somewhere in the New Testament. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, but I think, right, there's an aspect of as far as it is unto you. So as much as you can, because we're not in charge. We can't control how people are going to react. We can't control how people are going to respond to us. But our responsibility, right in that passage you shared, if someone, if, you know, if you know someone has something against you, leave your, at the altar and come. That doesn't talk about how the other person will deal with it. It talks about what is our responsibility. And so, right, every, every attempt to reconcile with that person is, again, okay, Jesus, this is what's happening. Do I continue? Do I continue when everything is, has been rejected? Because we are in charge of ourselves. We can't force people to reconcile with us. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And again, how many times to do it? Talk to Jesus, be with other people in community, and together figure out what it looks like. Yeah. Good question. This is a struggle, isn't it? This is difficult. Okay. Romans 12, 18. Thanks, Dave. Okay, Romans 12, 18. As far as concerned with you, do everything you can, right? Do everything you can. So um, there, there's certainly, um, yeah, and I think that's great. So in community, speaking to Jesus, that's great. All right, that's it for questions. One more question. Okay. These have been some really good questions, by the way, you guys. Fantastic questions. What do we do with horrific yeah. incidents done in the past or recent times done by Christians? Yeah. It's your turn to answer. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I mean, I will say my piece about it, and then, yeah. which might be a little yeah. chunk, and then you, you can add more to it. I think um, for me, there's a recognition that when I hear about the horrific incidences of, of, other believers in the past and present, that my first reaction is to be like, nope, they're not, I'm not a Christian like them. Get them far away from me as possible. But like you said, like the people that have done the horrific things are also still our brothers and sisters. And so it's that, it's that tricky place of not trying to distance ourselves in such a way that all we're doing is saying, oh, those people are terrible. Look at those people these are the worst people ever. Nor is it doing the thing of like, oh, because they're our brother and sisters in Christ, we're not going to talk about it. We're just, they're our brothers and sisters. It's that tricky line of like, the reality is horrific things have been done, is being done. That is not what Jesus 
is asking us to do. It is not in the love of Jesus. It is not reconciliation. It is just horrific things. And it's tricky. How do we do it? How do we show love to all the people while not denying and not ostracizing in a way to make ourselves feel better? I mean, let's be honest, like you said, let's be honest. The body of Christ is made up with some messed up people. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. And so if Jesus receives everyone to himself, there's going to be some messed up people within the body of Christ. doesn't make it okay. I mean, there's a moment where, where the apostle Paul has to go speak to the apostle Peter because the apostle Peter was in the wrong. So he has to go and, and talk to him and say, Peter, what you're doing is wrong. Like that's in scripture. So there is opportunity for us to be able to, in humility, go and speak to other people about what we see that might not be correct in their life. Now, it's not just people or individuals, it's whole organizations. So as an as a organization, Christian organization, there's whole groups of people that are maybe going down a path that's not a great path, that doesn't lead to life. Let's be honest about it. Let's be genuine about it. Let's, let's recognize we're all in process. Uh, but let's, in love and in humility, speak to one another and encourage one another. Encourage doesn't always mean, hey, you're doing a great job. Sometimes it means, hey, it's more of an exhortation, right? An exhortation is you come and you say, let's just look at Jesus for a moment. Is this consistent with Jesus? And so we can do that. We can do that in community. Community is a really important thing. Honesty is a really important thing. And making sure people, you know, we're not trying to say we're perfect, in fact, the exact opposite. We recognize that we're flawed. We recognize we're flawed and we're in process. So as the body of Christ, we come together to help spur each other on. Yeah. Great question. Hard, difficult. Good question. Awesome. Good to go? All right. So good. So good. You guys are just coming out with some great questions. Great struggle through this. I mean, what I'm seeing and reading here is that there's a, there's a great struggle with trying to live this out, trying to walk this out. And that's exactly what the book of Philemon is. Walking out now what you've been learning, okay? So this is what it is. It's struggling through this. It's walking this out. Make sure you're talking to people around you about these questions also. So good. So a good question to ask yourself this week as we think about the body of Christ. Is there someone, not even the body of Christ, just as we think about humanity, is there someone whom Jesus loves that you have a particular difficult time with? Is there someone whom Jesus loves that you have a difficult time with? And as Jesus brings that person to mind, just picture them. He's put that picture up on the wall of your heart. Pray for that person. Ask Jesus, what is my responsibility towards them? What can I do? How can you change my heart towards them, Jesus? I wonder what would happen if we began to think that way. It may not mean that you need to talk to them. Don't, say that I, don't, don't think that I'm saying go talk to them. Maybe it does. Talk to Jesus about it and see what Jesus would say. In community and with Jesus, talk to him about what he might want you to do with that person that you might struggle with. Maybe it's just pray. So why don't you stand? Paul doesn't give any long benedictions in the book of Philemon. But one thing he says is this. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith 
so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Jesus, as we lean into what you have for us, as we lean into sharing the good news that's in us, not, not being able to apologetically defend the faith, but that we would be able to have the love and the hope and the joy and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus come welling up out of us. As we do that, Lord, as your presence wells up out of us and we share the faith, share the goodness of Jesus Christ with all those around us, Lord, we're praying for people to know you, for people to know your joy, for people to know your hope, to know your forgiveness, to know your mercy, to know your grace, because they see it welling up within us. So Jesus, just, we just pray for, for more, for more brothers and sisters, for more people to know you, Jesus. And Jesus, right now, we just pray for, uh, for some of the families I know, Lord, that are struggling right now, that are having a difficult time right now. Um, we just pray, Lord, your, your hand upon them, your presence over them, Lord, for babies who need to breathe on their own. We pray for, for young women uh, that have uh, um, fluid on their brains. Lord, we pray for people that are struggling with sickness, are struggling with persecution, struggling with, with joblessness. Lord, we, we pray for those that are struggling with depression. Uh, Lord, the people that are, that are struggling with torment, we pray against the enemy right now in your powerful name, Jesus Christ, that, that all the tools and attempts and plans of the enemy would be cut off. And Lord, that your spirit would come and breathe life upon your people and that you would help us, Lord, to, to, to stand strong in you, Jesus. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence, your goodness, your kindness towards us. We thank you for your presence. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, whether you are here or watching us online. Blessings on you. Hope you stay warm and have a great week. Hope to see some of you back tonight. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.